Let's go to the Lord once again. God, we do thank you for this time that we can open your word. But Lord, we do not begin to try to understand it without first turning to you and asking you to open our eyes, open our hearts to its deep, eternal truths. God, we pray that you will do the supernatural here this morning. Do what is impossible with man. Father, we pray that by your grace, you will fill us with your spirit, that you will awaken the dead this morning, that you will strengthen your people, that you will secure us and you will help us to endure this life of faith. God, we pray that you will do it also for our partnership churches, those who have supported us these last couple of years. Lord, we thank you for their love and their support and their prayers. Lord, we pray that you will do a wondrous work with them also. We pray that you will be a part of and in the midst of other gospel-centered churches in our area, that you will do a wondrous work with those fellowships, that your word will be heard and that your gospel truth will be accepted, Father, and that you will bring more into the kingdom. Lord, we pray that you'll do that for Covenant Church in Nakuru, Kenya. Father, we pray for Pastor Kogo this morning and his family. We pray that you'll strengthen them and help Pastor Kogo to bring forth your word in a way that is without any condition, without any regret, that he will be bold and in love preach the gospel truth to your people. God, we thank you for NAM, another partnership ministry who have supported us these last couple of years. We thank you for the blessing that they have been to us. Lord, we pray that you will help them strengthen that ministry. May they bless other church plants also. Lord, we pray for those who have not yet heard of the good news of Jesus Christ, not only in our area, not only here in North America, but around the world. And this morning, especially the Pashtun in India, 11 million people trapped in Islam, thinking that they can work their way into heaven, thinking that this religion will somehow bring them closer to Allah. Father, may they see that there's only one true God, the God of Israel. God, that will take a miracle, but we know you are a miracle-working God. Lord, we pray that you'll raise up brothers among the Pashtun in India, that they will plant churches, that you will plant strong gospel-centered churches among that precious people, and that more will come to the kingdom. Lord, as we turn to your word, we pray that you will use this time. Help us to see its truth. Help us to live it out by faith. And Father, may you get glory in your word this morning. It's in your name. Amen. Well, we are in the midst of Paul's first letter to Timothy describing a gospel-centered church. You'll remember, that's why I told you, that's kind of the, the theme, if you will, of Paul's first letter to Timothy. What is a gospel-centered church? And I'm making a distinction there. We don't want to just come and do church There's a lot of churches out there. We want to be a gospel-centered church. 
A church that says Christ is the only way. He is the only way of salvation. And his gospel message is is that he died for sinners. He took God's wrath. He took our judgment upon himself so that we can then stand with the Father blameless. We can't do that on our own. We confess we cannot go to a holy God and survive. We need a Savior, and that's Jesus Christ. That is a gospel-centered church. A church that holds on to that message and says everything else we do is all about that gospel message. And that's what I mean. And this is what Paul is telling Timothy in his letter. You'll remember that Timothy's been facing false teachers. And Paul, with pastoral concern for both Timothy and the church at Ephesus, you'll remember that Paul spent almost six years with this church, planting the church and then nurturing them, helping them to grow. He writes to them so that they will know how they ought to behave in the household of God. We learn that later in this chapter, later in chapter 3. And he says that they will know how they ought to behave in the household of God, so the church will be a pillar, a buttress of God's truth. That means a strong support and defender of God's truth. After his introduction, Paul has been describing the purpose and then giving us a picture of what the church is to be like when we gather for worship. This gathering today... All of us here, this is an important part of being a church. It's an important part of who we are. When we are together for worship, we are to have the gospel in mind. There's one reason why we gather on the Lord's Day. It's not for anything else other than to be reminded of that gospel message. It is to be our focus And it shows that that is what we are all about, is Christ and his gospel. Looking to the gospel and centering all of what we are, all of what we do around it, Paul says, in that way, we are like a household. That's why fellow Christians call each other brothers and sisters in the Lord. And like any household, there's order to it. There's order in God's house. We have members with roles. A dysfunctional household ruins lives. It ruins lives. And it's a turnoff and it repulses people away from the truth. No one wants to be part of a dysfunctional household. Order is needed. It's needed in God's household. God's household should protect. God's household should protect the members. It should enrich them and should be a living witness and a light to the community, to the order of God. God is orderly. He is not chaotic. He's orderly. And our order reflects who he is and the importance of his gospel truth. Now, using that imagery of a household... We're told last week that men and women are important in the church and they have different roles. We serve different roles. Men are to seek after holiness 
and prayer. Women are not to teach, but are to submit to the leadership of the church, thus showing their love for God and his gospel truth, a love for his word, directing who they are and what they do. The leading and the teaching in the gathered church is for men, but it's not for all men. We have men and women in the church because of God's grace, but who's going to lead them? If it's we say it's not women and it's not all men, who is it then that's going to, to lead them? The church, if it's going to be orderly, needs direction. It needs to have priorities emphasized. There needs to be encouragement to the body to stay in the faith, to keep fighting the good fight, reminding the church of what's good and what's right and holy. We are all influenced by something, and we need leaders to influence us with the truth, to keep reminding us and pulling us back and keeping us in focus there. For, for believers, it ought to be God and his truth doing the influencing in our lives. Nothing else in life should add to us, should be influencing what we do. There's one determiner, and that's God and his truth. We confess we can't do this on our own. We need someone then to, to lead us. We can't stay at this 100%, 24-7, seven days a week, all year around. We need someone who's going to encourage and guide and lead us in this. Now saying that, are leaders really necessary? In today's world, in our country, we are told how capable we are as individuals. We're told that we can do whatever we put our minds to. Is that true? Are leaders really necessary? Why can't we all just work things out among us and let everyone decide? We're all pretty smart people here. Why can't we just come together and decide on where the church should go and what it should do? What's important here is to see is even though there's equality with God in God's eye, there's equality for all believers as his children. We're all God's children. Those of us who have confessed Christ, brothers and sisters, we're all God's children. We're all heirs. We're as priests and ministers. Remember, there's a priesthood of all believers. We minister to each other. We're all witnesses for the gospel. All this is true, but there are some, and not all, who are called by God to serve the church as leaders. For example, here's some, some verses for you. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. There's distinction between the body of the church and the leaders who are part of the body. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as men who have to give account. The body, we're told in Scripture, the body submits to the leaders who watch over their souls. 
1 Thessalonians 5.12, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And in Acts 20.28, speaking to the elders at Ephesus, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. So Scripture is clear. There are leaders in God's church. What then determines a good leader? Well, looking out there today, we see leadership everywhere. Every aspect of our lives has someone who leads in that area. There are good leaders and there are bad leaders. So it is in the church, actually. There can be good leaders and there can be bad leaders in the church. But there are to be leaders. There are some who lead. A quick survey of what's common today, not just in the church, but if we just look in life, we see executive leadership. We see business leaders, those who run companies, dynamic speakers and personalities, having good public speaking skills. They are able to draw a crowd and keep their attention. Are these qualities that we are to have in the church? Are these the qualities for leaders in the church? Is there a standard the church uses to ensure its leaders are qualified to lead? Or what I just mentioned, are those the qualities that we look for? Dynamic speakers, those who can draw a crowd, those who know about life and experience, are good with money and can manage. Is that what we are to look for in the church? Leaders are needed. And if it's necessary, who then will lead? Who is it that leads? Well, first and foremost, Christ leads. That's what we need to see. Before we get into who among the body leads, we need to first see that the church already has a leader, and that's Jesus Christ. Christ is the head. Ephesians tells us he's the head of his church, the body. So picture a human body, all the limbs, right? The arms and the legs and the midsection even, that's the body, that's the church, that's all of us who have faith in Jesus Christ, then there's the head, and that's Jesus Christ. And what does the head do for the body? Well, the head controls the body. The head directs the limbs and the, every other aspect of the body. It tells the rest of the body what, what it needs to do. It gives direction. Without a head, the body is lifeless. It'll just lay there and decay. That's the way it is with Christ and his church. Christ leads us. He directs us. And then it's the church itself. The church is given authority for doctrine and discipline. The church is to test its leaders according to Scripture. We don't just blindly submit to whoever stands up here or whoever claims to be a leader in the church. We are to test their leadership according to Scripture. Within those parameters, the church then submits to leaders who God has called 
who are affirmed of that calling to lead and to teach and to guide the church. And so under Christ and under the authority of his word, the church has leaders who God gives to the church to lead the church. We're told this in scripture and we have an example of it in the early church in the book of Acts that I just read a moment ago where Paul was expecting the elders at Ephesus to lead the body. This is the same church that he's writing to here in 1 Timothy. That's where Timothy is. So today we're looking at leadership in the church. Under the authority of Christ and his word, it is the overseers, we're told, who teach and lead the gathered church. Other parts of scripture use the word elder. We use the term here at Redeemer Church. We say elder. It's the same thing. Elder overseer. It's used interchangeably in scripture. The elders lead and they have the primary responsibility for teaching and preaching in the church. Elders are pastors. Elders are shepherds. They care for the members and the congregants of the church. That's not to say that members don't care for one another. What it means is that elders have the responsibility that all in the church are cared for, that no one falls through the cracks, that no one is forgotten. And that can easily happen if someone is not continuously looking out for all the members. Each term that I just said, elder, shepherd, pastor, overseer, each term gives us more insight into what leaders do in the church. Elders are mature. An elder is mature, deserving of being followed. Pastors care and minister. Under shepherds protect the flock. Sheep without a shepherd are vulnerable to attack. They're vulnerable to the wolves who seek them harm. Overseers, by, by the, the word itself, have oversight in the church. So each term gives us a fuller picture of what elders do for the church. It's the meaning of these terms found in Scripture that say what good leadership is in the church. Leaders in the church, the, the leadership, do those things. They pastor, they shepherd, they minister, they preach. They are the elders deserving of being followed. A couple years ago, I preached on eldership. And what I said then is still true today. This is what I said a couple years ago. We turn to the Bible to see how God describes leadership. We don't turn to anywhere else. We don't look to a book on leadership found in the bookstore or online. We don't look to leadership principles given at prestigious business schools. We don't listen to conferences giving us 12 steps to good leadership and success. We follow and we listen to what God has to say. If we turn to anything else besides God's word and what he's graciously given us, it'll be like we're standing on quicksand. 
what the other stuff has to say. They, they all ebb and flow depending on what's popular or, or what they think the culture is looking for. They're not solid for the soul. Our hearts won't last very long using other standards. If we were to turn to a book on good leadership, we just go to a bookstore and pick it up, and there's many out there, it wouldn't last long because it doesn't feed the soul. We would be vulnerable, and leadership in this church would ultimately fail because we're not just doing a business here. This is not just an organization. This is something that is supernatural. It's something that's spiritual. And it's the spiritual, it's the soul that needs led. It's the soul that needs fed. And so God's word is that rock on which we stand. It's God's word that we turn to for leadership. God is the one who established the office of elder. God is the one who defines the role and who fills it. God is the one who gives elders their purpose and function and meaning. It's God who would give the elder the final assessment as their role as elder. Everything in the church, including the office of eldership, finds its meaning in God. We want a biblical perspective on leading in the church. We need to have a biblical understanding about elders. Not doing it our way in our own wisdom, but God's way. And so one Bible scholar says of our passage in 1 Timothy today, he says, it contains more direct, detailed, systematic teaching on eldership than any other New Testament letter. With that, let's turn there now and see the office of elder or overseer is a role in the church given by God to lead the church in relationship with him and to ensure his gospel truth is cherished and proclaimed by the members. Look with me, if you will, at verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Don't get confused with Paul's wording here. When he says anyone, for anyone who aspires He's referring to any man. That's consistent with what I preached on last week. We know that he's saying that because he says, if anyone aspires, he desires a noble task. Again, not that women are not able to teach. This is not a slight against women. There are some women who are gifted teachers. But in the context of the gathered church, this role is for men. So if any man seeks to become an elder, he desires a noble task. It's a noble desire. It's really good and inspiring to want to serve Christ, to be an under-shepherd for the great shepherd. It's not a role that seeks to advance oneself. It's quite the opposite, actually. It's a noble desire because the man in this role as elder is seeking to be an example of what it means to die to oneself and to live only for Christ, to be all that they are is Christ. 
He's their desire. He's their hope and, and aspiration. A desire to serve based on the task itself is worthy. It's of urgent importance. Remember the overall tone of, of Paul's letter to Timothy. There, there's a sense of urgency about it. So there, there's an urgent need in the church for there to be elders, for there to be leaders who are sold out to Jesus Christ, who embody what it means to die to themselves and live only for him. It's important to have leaders who want to serve like Christ for the good of the church. Notice they're called overseers. That's because they have oversight of the church. Now, I've already mentioned the other terms used to describe this role. And I just want to take one minute. I want to take one minute and look a little closer at them to see what it is elders do. So if you will, keep your thumb, put your thumb on 1 Timothy to hold your place. And please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And we'll look at the first five verses. If you have the church Bible, it's page 1016. Notice what Peter says here, beginning in verse 1. 1 Peter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. First Peter gives us four aspects to the elders' role here. Shepherding the flock of God. Exercising oversight. There's our word in our passage, the office of overseer. Being examples to the flock. This is with the expectation that members will follow and all of it is to be done with humility toward one another. Now, this is not a full description of the elder's role. Other parts of Scripture call them to care for the sick, to labor at preaching and teaching, to be worthy of submitting to, being stewards of God's household, to guard the church from false teaching, to help the needy and be generous, and be the first ones in the church who will promote peace and love and truth in the body. It's a calling. In other words, the call to eldership is a call that requires all that a man is. It's not a task that's added to something else that a man does. It's not added to add time to whatever else your real focus is. The call to be an overseer says this is who you are. Everything else revolves around that role. This is a task that requires a man to embody servanthood. 
their life is no longer theirs. It belongs to Christ in this to serve the church. Scripture speaks of, notice it speaks of elders, overseers, pastors, shepherds, all plural. Leadership is not given to just one man in the church. The pastor is not the guy. I am not the guy of Redeemer Church. It's a council of elders. Churches should not be structured or organized around one man. Around one man. It's men, a council of men who are to lead. Now here at Redeemer, we're in a situation where there's one elder. And we're praying for God to provide a council of men. Until that time, I've freely volunteered to listen to input from elders of our partnership churches. But we pray God will give us at least one other man and slowly build from that who will shepherd with me. What goes on in the church is too much for one man. It's too much. It's, it's supernatural what goes on in God's church. And you think of your own life and everything that goes on in it, and then you times that by all the people in the church. It's too much for one man to be the guy. It needs to have a council of men. The church needs men who will shepherd. By God's design, it's this way so that no one can boast. No one can boast in the church that they are the person. We boast in the Lord and His glory and His sovereign provision for us. The desire, turning back to our passage in 1 Timothy, the desire to be an overseer is not enough, though. It's not just enough to want to be an elder or to do what an elder does, namely the teaching and the leading. Desire must be matched with good character and spiritual gifts and qualifications laid out by God. All elders are men, but not all men are elders. The rest of our text lays out 15 qualifications. How'd you like to have that on an application? 15 qualifications. 16 if you include the desire for it. 15. And if anyone is going to qualify for it, it's going to be solely by God's grace that that man is able to do the role of elder. So 16 qualifications if you include the desire for it. If you will, bear with me as I run down these qualifications. It is important for all of us to understand them. It first begins in verse 2. It says, elders, overseers, are to be above reproach. This means the elders do not have anything in their life that someone can point to that's contrary to Christ. They are to be seeking holiness and they are to be blameless by the grace of God. And that's important. It's not somehow elders have arrived and they are now sinless. It's that by the grace of God, they are above reproach. No one can say anything bad about their character. 
It then says for the man to be the husband of one wife. This pertains both to marriage and the intimacy of marriage. It's not just checking a box and staying monogamous in marriage and secretly looking at other women, desiring them. It's being a one-woman man in every sense of the relationship. Elders are to also be sober-minded. That means having self-control, balanced judgment, not rash in their thinking. They're not prone to giving knee-jerk reactions. Not only self-control with their thoughts, but next, being self-controlled in their behavior. Using discretion and being prudent and sensible. They are to be respectable, being orderly and well-behaved. They are to be hospitable, being out front in the church. They are to be the leaders in this area, out front, expressing Christ's love and care by being sacrificial with their time and wanting people to be thought of and cared for. Elders are to be able to teach. Not all are teachers, but all teach. This is important. Of all the qualifications, this is the one that really sets overseers apart. This is the qualification, really, from all the others that sets elders apart from the other men. Because all these other qualifications are really how all Christians are to be. How do you know if a man's able to teach then? How do do we know that they should be the ones up here preaching or teaching? Well, do they know the Scriptures? Is he able to hold fast to the Word of God when confronted with other teachings and perspectives? Not pridefully, but winsomely and convincingly pointing to the truth of God's word. Are they able to stand on firm conviction of what truth is? Does he know sound doctrine and is he able to encourage others to grow and learn? Being able to protect the church from false teaching. This is what it means to be able to teach. The elders not to be a drunkard. Drunkenness is a sin. So this is an overt, a very clear qualification that signifies if they're willing to follow Scripture or they into their own pleasure and in need of church discipline. Elders are not to be violent, but are to be gentle in their dealings with others. They are not to be out of control. This does not mean that elders don't fight. Elders should be leading the charge. They should be leading the fight for the faith. They fight for truth. But they do it God's way, not man's way. They don't treat cheap, uh, rough, or harsh, but appropriately according to Scripture. Elders are not to be quarrelsome. They don't go looking for fights. They don't back down from fights, but they don't go looking for a fight. Elders are to be peaceful men. They're not to be lovers of money, it says. There are two masters in the world, God or self. 
You cannot serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, and be devoted to one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The elder must be able to manage his own household well. The home is the proving ground for Christ-mindedness and love for others. It's where godly character is being developed, and thus household, the household, the family, is preparation for ministry. If a man cannot manage his household and keep his family turning to Christ, focused on Christ, he will not be able to keep the household of God focused on Christ. This is a clear and evident test for those seeking eldership. They must be providing for their family physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And in this, if the man has children, he is to be keeping his children submissive. Teaching his children the authority of God and having them live under it. The elder must not be a recent convert. Young Christians are vulnerable to pride. They need to be grounded first in the truth. And lastly, we've gotten to the end. Lastly, the elder must be well thought of by outsiders. Not friends with everybody, but well respected. And they have a good reputation with outsiders. This again speaks to the elder's character. They need to have a good Christ-like character. Now with all these qualifications, I just went down these 16. Why is it that you, the body, need to know all this? Not every man will be an elder. Women and a lot of men are being told by God to submit themselves to men who fit these qualifications. Why then do you specifically need to know this? Why spend the time on the Lord's day preaching on this passage? Well, I'm glad you're asking that. If you will, I'm going to ask you to turn with me one more time in Scripture. Keep your thumb in 1 Timothy, but this time turn to Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. And this will answer the question that all of you are asking. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11. It's page 977 in the church Bible. Here in Ephesians, Paul gives us a very good reason on why you personally need to know the qualifications for elders. It says, God gave... Your, your text says he gave, but if you look in the previous passage, it's talking about God the Father, God. God gave shepherds and teachers, there's the elders. God gave the shepherds and teachers, why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, 
for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that, it's build, so that it builds itself up in love. You, as a church member, need to know the qualifications for an elder for your discipleship and for God's glory. Don't just accept anyone in front of you telling you what the scriptures have to say. They are to be up here with the mindset for you to grow into Christ. You see, too many are led astray because someone calls themselves a pastor or preacher. Some today even call themselves apostle, which is heretical. Too many people stand up in front of the church and people mindlessly just take in and absorb anything that's told to them. You need to know the right kind of men who are standing before you, teaching and leading you, so that they will help you grow in every way and become mature in Christ, able to withstand craftiness so you can withstand deceit, so that you will be equipped and built up in God's love. That's the goal of preaching and teaching. And in this, God gets the glory for it all because we know when it's a godly man standing up in front of you, pointing you to his truth, it's really God working through that man and in your heart. And God gets the glory for that. But not only is it for your discipleship and glory, you need to know the qualifications for an elder because it's the church that affirms elders. Whether you desire as a man to become an elder or you're a member who has the responsibility to affirm elders, you need to know what kind of man should fill that role. Everyone needs to know the qualifications because every member will either affirm or will object who it is who leads the church. Later in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, the elders and the deacons are tested. They're examined to see if they're qualified. And that's in the context of the whole church. In Acts chapter 14, verse 23, it says this. When they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. It's the church who affirms after they appoint. So the church appoints elders and they affirm them. And here's an early example of that going on there in the book of Acts. We continue that practice today. The church appoints and then affirms elders. It's important for all of us to know these qualifications so that they see that every elder who's leading them qualifies according to God's word. Why is it, though, why is it important Here's a question that, that you're asking, and I'm glad you're asking it. Why is it important for elders to have these particular qualifications? Why is that? Beyond your discipleship, beyond their appointment, there's something even more important. Elders need to have these qualifications because they're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like every other Christian, they embody the gospel. 
The difference with elders is that they not only show it, they not only share it, elders teach it. They teach the gospel, so they need to embody the gospel. This says that character and substance matters more than skill set and personality. It's in a man's character that Christ is modeled, that his people are cared for and the spiritually minded are taught. The elders are the teachers of the truth of Christ. Truth about what, you ask? That it's Christ alone who redeems. It's in his accomplished work on the cross that saves. That every person stands in need of forgiveness for their sin. And it's only through Christ and his righteousness given to you by the grace of God. So that every person who believes through faith will enjoy the eternal all-satisfying love and grace of the one who never runs out of that love and that grace. That is why elders need to embody that and then teach that truth so that you will constantly be reminded of this gospel truth and never lose sight of who Christ is for you. This is the gospel, and it's elders who lead with that. In their character, in their teaching, in their preaching, in their leading the church, and all who hear to come to Christ and grow in the richness of his grace and his love. Don't, church, don't accept men who are flashy or who can draw a big crowd. That's, that's their one big character trait is that they're entertaining or they draw a big crowd. For your sake and the sake of this church, appoint men who are sold out to Jesus Christ, who want to be like Christ, who are able to teach the scriptures, who hold on to the doctrine regardless of the outcome, regardless of what happens to them, and who will shepherd the flock of Christ and feed you the truth no matter what. Let's pray.